you're listening to New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you're encouraged and strengthened as you listen to this week's message. First Peter 2, verse 9, it says this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Once we were not a people, and now we're the people of God, his own special people. Once we had not received or taken hold of received mercy, Obtained, obtained mercy, but now we have. I like reading that from the New Living Translation, too. But you, are not, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. As I'm looking out there, you are a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, his very own possession. This is so that you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received none of God's mercy, now you have received his mercy. Let's pray. Father, as we come today, we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would bring revelation. Father, a momentum of revelation that impacts us. That literally the power of almost getting hit, like that wind we experienced last night or yesterday, the wind had force, it had velocity, it it had power. And Father, we pray that we would be impacted by revelation of your mercy today. And Father, we ask that when we're impacted by mercy, that we would be transformed by mercy, that we would be changed by mercy. That how we see, how we see you, how we see ourselves, how we see others, how we demonstrate and how we display and release mercy to the world around us, we ask for impact of revelation today. I'm going to share a little story. Um, They say, for some, it's one of the greatest novels ever written, uh, Les Mis. I don't know, how many people have seen the, the new musical at the theater? If you like the story, it was pretty, really, really good. It's a story about redemption. It was a novel written by Victor Hugo in 1862. And it's a really great story. And I'm going to show a clip of the movie in case you've never seen it. But I want to give you a little background because obviously we're not going to watch the whole movie. And if you watch the whole movie or you've never seen the play or read the novel, I want to bring you up to date because it would, the story obviously would unfold. So it's about a, an ex-convict, an ex-convict named Jean, Val, Jean Valjean. How did I do, Steve? Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean, right? Steve, we crack up over this stuff. but Jean Valjean. He's an ex-convict. Where I'm going to bring you up to date is he was just released from prison. He got a five-year sentence for stealing bread for a starving sister's family. So 
He was labeled a thief, got five years in prison. Because he tried to escape prison, he ended up spending 19 years in the, in the galleys in France at that time period. Um, it, it was a cruel punishment. It was a 19 years of his life was lost. When he got out of prison, he was lonely, he was shunned, he was turned away, and he was very bitter. And we're going to pick up the story right there, and then we'll come back. You can't sleep here. Get away from me. Wow. Ah. <laughs> oh. Man. How many have never seen that clip or never seen that, that part of the movie? It's, it's, a, it's a recommendation. You can even get it at the library. It's a, it's a great movie. But the... Uh, can't you just hear the conversation later between him and his wife? <laughs> some, of, some of the things you think of, like, you're out of your mind. But the bishop and his wife give him shelter, a warm bed, and a warm meal. The love of God in action. At night, purely out of habit and desperation, he steals and he runs off with the bishop's silverware. The police capture him. He's caught red-handed with the goods. And obviously we just saw it, but it's just good to narrate it a little bit. The bishop pretends that he gave him the silverware and actually says, here's the two candlesticks. He receives mercy from the bishop. He says that your life has been spared and spared for God. Again, obviously, you watch it over and over again. I love the line where he says, never forget, don't forget. The results, I'm going to cheat a little bit and tell you that this, this encounter with mercy transformed him forever. He was a new man. As the story unfolds, he became a wealthy factory owner, and throughout his life, he always displayed mercy because of the mercy that he received. It's a powerful story. To receive mercy. <clears throat> Pope John Paul II called mercy the greatest attribute of God Almighty. Mercy. He also said it's ever ancient and ever new. I like that because it, it's, it's for all ages and it's for tomorrow morning. It's ever ancient and ever new. Mercy. Mercy. I want to go to Luke if you like following along, let's go to Luke chapter 15. Another amazing, beautiful example of mercy. Luke 15, starting with verse 11. <clears throat> I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. kind of like it. 
Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and took a trip to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. I love verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired men have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired hand, as a hired man. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming, Filled with love and compassion and mercy, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father says to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we were fattening in the pen. We must we must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. So let the party begin. The new King James also has some great nuances in the sense. I love what the father does when he sees him far off. It says in the New King James that when he was far off, his father saw him and had compassion and mercy on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You see a more intimate embrace there of a father falling on his neck and just holding his son, kissing his neck, kissing his face. The father received his son back with mercy, with compassion, with pity, and with, with forgiveness. How do you think that would impact you for the rest of your life? Ever ancient, ever new, mercy. The thing we have to remember about the, the prodigal son was, you know, he, he rebelled and he wasted all his money. You know that, that word wasted or loose living, squandered? It is the most wasteful, reckless misuse of an inheritance that you can find in the Bible. He was immoral. He did improper things. I don't have to, to relate it to today's world. You can just imagine uh, the looseness of the lifestyle. And he just took his father's inheritance and he squandered it. And then he had an awakening and he came to his senses but how many times do we hear stories of a father's heart 
That's God the Father's heart. And it's perfectly, beautifully demonstrated that he had compassion, he had mercy. You know, he restored his son to sonship, and he restored his identity as a son. And he says we must celebrate. And so let the party begin. What the Lord's been showing me is you cannot just have a knowledge of the word mercy. You need an experience and an encounter with mercy. Because um, I keep seeing over and over again, and, and the word momentum to me is ongoing, take me, hold me closer, take me deeper. No matter what I think I've experienced about mercy, I want to know your heart on mercy. And there is a, I, I, in, my, in, my, in my picture, I see the snowball that is now a giant ball and it just hits me straight on and I'm impacted by mercy. I'm transformed by mercy. Now I'm changed by mercy. It's that snowball that hits you to where it actually changes every day. It changes my speech on every area of politics and family life and homosexuality and every area of crisis we might face as a nation. It changes the way I think about people who are in bondage, who are caught in snares and traps. It changes. Mercy produces a transformed life. Paul has one of the other greatest examples, and we'll see that in 1 Timothy 1.12. So if you want to go there, 1 Timothy 1.12 is the Apostle Paul First Timothy 1.12. I'm going to assume that there are folks here who have never studied the life of Paul the Apostle. Because you have to put this in some, some context. Paul the Apostle, was, his name was Saul. And he was a persecutor of the church. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was an educated man. He, he didn't believe in Jesus Christ and he didn't believe in the movement that Jesus was alive. He, he didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. And he was actually out persecuting and killing Christians. And he was an enemy of God. And then he had an encounter with God. He literally had an encounter with God where he got knocked off his horse. And he heard from heaven the voice of Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he was blinded, and he was born again, and his life was never the same. So we pick this up in 1 Timothy 1.12 where he says, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. You know, the word ministry means Jesus saw that he became a servant, a bondservant forever. He was ever indebted to the work of the cross and to the message, the good news of Jesus. Verse 13, although I formerly, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I have obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy 
Uh, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am a chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. I believe Paul never forgot where he came from. Where he came from. He understood. I find it fascinating the three words he uses here. I'm just going to go to... Uh, how thankful, how thankful I am to Christ Jesus, O Lord, for considering me trustworthy and appointing me to serve him. Even though I used to scoff at the name of Christ, I hunted people down, harming them in every way. I was an enemy of God, but God had mercy on me. Oh, how kind and gracious the Lord was to me. He filled me completely with faith and love because of Jesus Christ. If you've never experienced mercy, I was, I was with a friend this week and I had a cup of, you know, for those of you who like Starbucks coffee, you have a cup of your favorite coffee, whatever it is, and there's a Martian and you're trying to tell him how wonderful this coffee is. He's never going to understand it by words. You've got to give him the cup of coffee and say, drink the cup of coffee. Drink it. Taste it. Experience it. Now you can make your own decision, but mercy is very much like that. You, gotta, you have to experience mercy. So I just want to read a few scriptures because I believe one of the things that's lacking in the body of Christ today is a revelation of mercy. A revelation of mercy that hits you so hard, it changes the way you think. A revelation of mercy that sets you free. A revelation of mercy that just, just explodes in you to understand the vastness of what Christ did and how free he set us from punishment. <laughs> Ephesians 2 is by far one of the favorites. Let's go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, starting with verse 4. But God, but God, enemies of God, by nature, children of wrath, living our own life, doing our own thing. Believe it or not, before you came to Christ, you were as foolish as the young, the young son who wasted his inheritance and lived for himself. Wasn't, wasn't even worthy to be called the son. Ephesians 2, verse 4, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy. How about that word, rich in mercy? He's rich in mercy. It's not like he's got a, just about a little bit of mercy. 
It's rich. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. When we were dead in our trespasses, God demonstrated his rich mercy for us. We read 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, but I want to read it again. 1 Peter. The fullness of this is but you are a chosen people, a royal priest and a holy nation, his own special people. This is our new identity. This is actually a restored identity to who we were created to be. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. What is the thing that changed? We've received mercy. We've received mercy. When you receive mercy, you show mercy. When you receive mercy, you show mercy. There's a lot of great scriptures. I was just getting flooded with scripture after scripture last night. I like this one in Titus. It says, you know, look for mercy. Are you looking for mercy? Or are you jumping on the bandwagon of banter where there's no mercy at all spoken? Are you looking for mercy? Jesus asked this question in Luke 10 from a certain lawyer. I, thought, I think it's kind of neat, nothing against any lawyers here, but I think it was neat, it was a certain lawyer yeah. negotiating with Jesus. So which of these do you think was the greatest neighbor to him? In Luke 10, there's a story about the good Samaritan who fell among thieves. And Jesus told the story, and he said, who do you think was a good neighbor to him after he explained the parable. He said, he who showed mercy, the one who had mercy on him, he was the good neighbor. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. You want to be a good neighbor? Show mercy. You want to get in a screaming match with your neighbor? I don't think that's going to work very well. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think that's the display of mercy. You can go to a friend and co-workers, and um, as you know, I have five children, and sometimes they test you, especially when they're young adults, and they have different views on life. And you find this aggravating, this thing rising up, and the Holy Spirit said, look for mercy. Look for mercy till they have their own personal revelation, their own personal encounter, 
their own personal snowball hitting them in the face so hard that it impacts them where they're transformed, they will never understand the mercy of God till they experience it. Even if they grew up in your home, they cannot fully comprehend it till they experience mercy. So look for mercy and show mercy and pray into their heart for mercy. I just want to make a few declarations for us because the beautiful part about that movie and that scene was he could have gone to jail for the rest of his life. And he had just spent 19 years and if he was to live in America in 2013, he would think our prison system was the, you know, the Marriott compared to what he just endured for 19 years and he faced a lifetime sentence for the rest of his life. And the bishop is there, and the bishop is representing the mercy of God. And I've received mercy. I've been pardoned. I've been released from the penalty. Don't you love this, the scene where he says, take off the chains. The chains come off. The chains come off. He was allowed to go free. He was allowed to live. Isn't it fascinating that the, the young man, one of the sons in the, in the parable of the prodigal son, he, he didn't die. Did he die? Why did the father say, let's celebrate because he was dead? He was spiritually dead. Right? So that was his born-again experience. He was quickened. He was made alive. He was born again. He repented. His mind was changed. He repented. He changed the way he thought about life and what he had done, and he turned, and he came to his senses. And we are now allowed to go free. We're allowed to live and never forget, never forget that Jesus is the one who pardoned you. A penalty had to be paid. The wages of sin is death, and he took that. Because of Jesus, we now can all if you're born again and you know Jesus, you can say, I've tasted, I've experienced, and I know the mercy and the grace of God because by grace you've been saved. Lamentations 3.22 says, the unfailing love of the Lord never ceases. It never ends. By his mercies, we have been kept from complete destruction. Great is his faithfulness, his mercies begin afresh each day. His mercies are new every morning. His mercies are fresh every day. You don't learn about mercy in your third week of becoming a Christian and think you can close the book. Because the truth is, if that was to happen, you're probably not a very merciful person because you forgot what it's like to receive mercy. Because if you forget how to receive mercy, you're probably not showing mercy. And in the kingdom, how this fits into kingdom life and the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven is we are to demonstrate the kingdom on earth. And I pray, I'm going to close in prayer, but I pray that you would be, have an encounter with mercy that transforms you. And only when you have an encounter with mercy, you just need to get with the Lord. I don't know how Holy Spirit does that for each and every individual. 
but you have to experience it and taste it and, say, and understand you've received mercy. However that plays out for you. But you should have died and you were allowed to live. You should have been executed and you were allowed to go free. That's a fact. And when you understand that and you taste that and you say, God, my life, I'm impacted by mercy. I'm transformed by mercy. It produces a change. You're not so quick to judge or open your mouth in an area without really saying, God, what's your heart? Draw me a little closer. Take me a little deeper. I want to know your heart in that situation. I don't want to just be the first one to jump to a conclusion. So as we close, I believe that we used Les Mis as a story of Jean Valjean. We used the parable of the prodigal son. We saw Paul the Apostle whose life was, transform, was transformed by the, that he obtained mercy. That was the key to his transformation and his ministry and his destiny. And as I was preparing, I said, what's the greatest story that you will ever have on mercy? You know what the greatest story you'll ever have? is your story. What's your story? If, if you have to, write it down like you were writing a novel. What is my story? Where have I been? What has my life been like? What have I experienced in life? What have I done? What have I failed to do? But, but what's your story? Because the most powerful experience you will ever have with mercy is your story. So we're going to close and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to just begin to show us how this would transform us. So Holy Spirit, we ask you, we, we acknowledge that you're here and you're manifesting your presence here. And Holy Spirit, we ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would hold us closer, that you would bring us deeper, that you would bring more fresh revelation, understanding, that you would reveal it, you would show us the mercy that we have received. The mercy. And Father, I pray that mercy, as it goes out today, as the revelation of mercy goes out today, it would transform us, it would change us. Father, I pray as we go about, we would, Holy Spirit, you would remind us that we've received mercy. Now show mercy that we've received mercy, be, be slow to speak. Lord, let me look for mercy. There was a punishment that we deserved and we did not receive it. I pray that as we go about this week, things will happen to us and we'll, we'll demonstrate mercy. And Father, I pray for every person here who can hear my voice that they have not yet truly understood the power or the impact that mercy has in their personal life. Lord, they have not really tasted and drank and understood. Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd bring revelation to them that would, that would impact them. Lord, like I saw the wind or a snowball hitting them with such force that they would be changed. 
They would be changed with an encounter with mercy. And they could write their story, and they would know their story is as important as any story ever told. They would tell their children or their grandchildren someday, this was my encounter with mercy and how it changed me. Father, I pray that in the kingdom we'd understand that mercy. Father, I would almost agree with Pope John Paul II and say mercy could be your greatest attribute because without it we, we, we don't have salvation or new life. So Father, I pray for your people today and I pray for a revelation of your mercy. And Lord, I just release this word to, to you and to the saints and I just bless them today and strengthen them in their week. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen? Amen.